Good morning, church family. This is Craig Bryant, and this morning I have the pleasure of bringing our Sunday School lesson. I know that we're not all together in the facility on campus here at First Baptist Church Keller. I wish we could be, but through the Lord's provision, He's allowed through technology an opportunity for us to have a Sunday School a bit of time. And so I'm grateful that you're here to listen today. Uh, I do ask that you'll silence your cell phone or turn away from any distraction you may have because hopefully, just like you would in your classroom on campus, you get a chance to visit and uh, be together in fellowship, and we'll do that as best we can today. I'll even have a few pauses throughout so we can have discussion, and you can be with those that you're with in um, having that kind of discussion together. So thank you for having a time with me as I facilitate and teach today on God's Word. Let's have a moment of prayer as we start. Lord, I thank you for technology and for a time that we can be together. Even though it's across the miles and the airwaves, we have a chance to learn from your word. May you be honored and glorified by what we talk about, what we learn today, and may we apply it to our lives so we can continue to serve you in this place. For the glory of God alone, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, top of mind for everyone today is the virus talk. Whatever you call it, COVID-19, the coronavirus, it's a frenzy. And certainly, um, we would be remiss if we didn't address that today as we start our lesson. We don't know how long this will go on and if we can all be together again come Wednesday or if it's going to be a, a month of Sundays or a month of Wednesdays. We just don't know. What we do know is God's on His throne. He's unchanging and He is clearly in control. And so today's lesson is going to be two parts. We're going to talk a little bit about a response to the virus, and then we'll jump into the Explore the Bible series that most adult classes have been going through, and we'll pick right up here with the March 15th lesson. So in the next 10 minutes or so, let's look together at God's Scripture, and um, we'll talk about how you're feeling and what can be our response during this time. You know, many times uneasiness comes to us. We may worry about our next mortgage payment. We may have concerns about a friend's health. We may ourselves have worries at work. But whatever the case is, we know we can bring those petitions and concerns to God. The old hymn comes to mind, On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. And it doesn't take long if you'd like to go to Facebook or other social media that you're going to get a cacophony of noise about what's happening, some of which is hyperbole, some of which is fact. But we can go to God's Word at all times for true facts. To use the solid rock analogy, um, I was thinking of a friend who went through an earthquake recently. He was um, sitting in his backyard in Southern California, and all of a sudden his birdbath water started shuffling back and forth. That three-foot diameter birdbath just sloshed, and then he felt in his chair the ground moving. And he said he had a surreal moment where he realized what is happening, but his eyes weren't exactly processing what he was feeling in his body. And sure enough, after about 40 seconds, it stopped. But he said his outlook changed forever on the fact that he wanted to stand on Christ no matter what was happening around him. He would have the firmest of footing in that way. And so we're going to look at the book of Nehemiah together. As you know, if you've studied Scripture or been in Sunday school before, Nehemiah is one of those Old Testament uh, stories that really brings to life the importance of someone who has to have faith in very stormy and tumultuous times. And so let me just read some Scripture for you here as we look at Nehemiah chapter 1. 
So the verse one says, the words of Nehemiah, the son of Haddai. Now it happened in the month Chesia, in the 20th year, when I was at Suta, the capital, that Hanani, one of my brothers, and some men from Judah came, and I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped and survived the captivity about Jerusalem. They said to me, the remnant there in the province who survived the captivity are in great distress and reproach, and the wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are burned with fire. When I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. I said, I beseech you, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who preserves the covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes be open to hear the prayer of your servant, which I am praying before you now, day and night, on behalf of the sons of Israel and your servants, confessing the sins of the sons of Israel, which have sinned against you. I and my father's house have sinned. And he continues in prayer there, but we're going to stop there just in the interest of time. And let me just say a couple of things. Nehemiah was looking for a report. What had happened? He hadn't experienced it firsthand. And like many people, we haven't experienced the virus firsthand. We have just seen and heard and read about it. But yet we can be four things as we look at this. We can be prayerful, just like Nehemiah was. You know, as he continues his prayer, he prays for wisdom as he's about to approach the king to ask permission to go and help to lead in the rebuilding of the walls and the gates of Jerusalem. Well, in our case, we can pray to God that through this circumstance, He will use it for His glory alone. Number two, we can be planful. Now, you've probably seen the stories online or through your newspaper that talk about people raiding the grocery stores for food and supplies, afraid of what's to come. Now, there's some wisdom in having stockpiles and to have things that you might need in the short term. But we know God supplies our daily bread, and we know that He gives us what we need. Now, at the same time, we also need to know that Nehemiah took action. If you keep reading in the book, and we won't have the time to do so today, you'll see that he goes to Jerusalem. He makes a plan and gathers volunteers so that they can start building the wall and repairing the gates. That happens in chapters 2. And if you want to go into chapter 3, you'll see all the 10 different gates and the groups of people that are repairing it. But there was a plan. There wasn't just a haphazard, hopeful response. And in our church, I'm grateful to Jack and to Keith for allowing us to even have this Sunday school time by technology. A great idea for us to be together utilizing things that are available so we can still fellowship and learn together. We didn't just haphazardly put this together. There was a planful time to make it come to life. Third is persistence. If you keep reading the book of Nehemiah, he persisted in the face of mockery, in the situations where people were coming against him. And I, I teach at a nursing home uh, weekly, and we often see the persistence of the saints in action there. Some of the elderly who are involved in ministering to people. There's one lady in particular that comes to mind where she writes letters, colors, pictures, and does puzzles that these, she then presents to fellow residents as a gift, if you will, of hope and of encouragement. 
And when we see Miss Edna doing that, we're encouraged because we see her persistence in situations that can be sometimes difficult or where you don't feel good. And what we see in Nehemiah's case and what we can apply here at First Baptist of Keller is a persistence to say, no matter what's going on around us, we will be faithful in God's word to teach it. We will be faithful together and help our fellow man and woman as they need it. And we will be faithful to whatever God calls us to do in these circumstances that are yet to come. And finally, the fourth part of Nehemiah here, if you were to keep reading, is progress. Boy, there's nothing more frustrating than whenever you put your hands to something and you don't see the progress. I have that happen at work sometimes where you work on a project for a couple of weeks and you just seem stalled. Or maybe you're working in a garden in your backyard and the seeds don't seem to come up the way they should. You've done everything right. But boy, when progress does happen, and when you actually see the fruit of your hands come to fruition, there is a joyfulness in that and a positivity that reinforces that what you're doing is worthwhile. And if you read the whole book of Nehemiah, you will see that many people are encouraged. The strongholds are strengthened, not in the sense of just keeping enemies away, like the coronavirus, trying to keep it away, but in allowing you to feel safeguarded in the situation that you're a part of. We know, though, that the Lord is with those who struggle and is near to those who have concerns. And we're excited to know that in this church, we can, like Nehemiah, go to him prayerfully. We can be planful. We can persist. And we can be seeing our progress by following what he teaches. Now, that Old Testament story is one that I've done little justice to because there's so much more we could learn from. But I can just say to you, if you can, as homework, as you have time on your hands these next few days, take a few minutes and read the book of Nehemiah. You'll be blessed by seeing how God used a man who started with prayer, followed up with a plan, and took it forward to bring real progress to Jerusalem. And in this coronavirus, we can be those same things to those around us. A Christian that is calm, that is planful, that is prepared, will be a great witness to the world. Well, let's transition now to the book of Romans and to our lesson this week. Um, here in Romans chapter 2 is where we're going to be. The title of this Explore the Bible series is Insufficient. Now, we were just talking about God being sufficient for our needs and our circumstances, but we're going to see here how mankind falls short of what God has, us, um, has in mind for us if we're just trying to follow rules or regulations or the law. So, let me set this up by talking about um, how things fit in today's world as it relates to Romans. There are so many people who claim to be woke, W-O-K-E, and I put that in air quotes, meaning that they're smarter than their predecessors, that they have new insights or new ideas. They seem to think that they know the better way. During this political season we're in, you'll hear various people from the parties talk about they have a new idea or a new deal or a new way. And although plans and programs may be justified and needed, 
let's be very clear. God's scripture is sufficient in all circumstances. We know that from 2 Timothy. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for us in training in righteousness and reproof and correction. And though we go into the book of Romans today thinking about insufficiency, we know that God will meet all of our needs sufficiently. So let's read together uh, the first few verses from our lesson. This is verse 17 of Romans chapter 2. But if you bear the name Jew and rely upon the law and boast in God and know his will and approve the things that are essential, being instructed out of the law, and are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, a corrector of the foolish, a teacher of the immature, having in the law the embodiment and knowledge of the truth. We'll stop, stop there for just a minute. It sounds pretty good. A person who's a Jew begins to feel puffed up and maybe feel good about themselves. Look at me. I know the law. I know all of these things. I understand how it all fits together. Well, Paul was a Jew of the Jews. He knew the law inside out. He threw people into jail. And he stood beside as people slew Stephen. When he, Stephen, said he saw God at the or saw Jesus at the right hand of God, and they called him a blasphemer. You know, if we're not careful, friends, we'll get a puffed up image of ourselves as Christians. We may know scripture. We can sing the hymns. We can identify with the teachings of Christ. And well, we should. That's what people who are building out their faith should be doing. At the same time, we cannot rest upon being someone who knows things in our heart or in our head, but do not apply them in a way that is good to what God is calling us to do. Let's take a pause here for discussion. And as you are with your friends or family, this might be a point to say and talk amongst yourselves and press pause here as I finish this sentence. Um, how am I doing in applying the things that I'm learning of God into the world versus just seeing myself as someone who knows it but keeps it to myself? That's question number one. Take a minute and discuss that. Okay, as you come off pause... The second question is, as I look at myself in the mirror, not in a guilty way, but what are areas where I am having to be careful I don't get caught up in, look at me? Yes, we should look at ourselves in the mirror and expose ourselves where we know we're failing, but we should not look at ourselves to say, I'm not striving to be what God is calling me to be and knowing what our weaknesses are, knowing where we struggle. So take a minute and discuss that if you would, and then we'll go to our next teaching point. Okay. Well, as we get back into Scripture, let's read after we looked at ourselves in the book of Romans, what happens next as we look at ourselves against the law. This is verse 21. Therefore, you who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that one should not steal, don't you steal? You who say that one should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, though you're breaking the law, do you dishonor God? 
For the name of God is blasphemed amongst the Gentiles because of you, just as it is written. That's the end of verse 24. Well, all of a sudden you move from patting yourself on the back or hearing someone say these good things about a Jewish faith to look at how you're failing. And friends, it's hard to have those things pointed out. You've had coaches, teachers, parents, siblings who may have pointed out things that you're doing wrong. I have a friend who 30 days ago, two of his best friends came to him and said, it's time for change. And they had what you would call an intervention where he was brought aside in a loving way, shown his struggles, his addictions, his problems. And then he willingly checked into a rehab facility, a Christian one, by the way. And he's come out of there kind of in a reset manner, a renewed way of looking at the world, a way of dealing with his problems, a way of understanding better what his struggles really are, and the fact that what he was doing was not what God was calling him to do. Now, I don't say that, friends. This, this person doesn't even live here in DFW. I don't say that to judge the person or to say intervention was the very best thing. I don't know. I can't judge that. What I can say is this person was helped by God's Word being presented to him in a way that was planful, prepared, and professional that he had not considered before. And what the writer is talking about here in the book of Romans is, gosh, we're all hypocrites. If we're not careful, we should know that we do sin and fall short of what God calls us to do. But there are plenty of ways that we can hold on to what God is teaching without being seen as a, uh, as a hypocrite. That's what's talked about a little bit later. We'll get to in just a moment. But the discussion point here is, Stop and think for a moment, not about your sin, but about those strongholds that need to be addressed and ask God to help you with those. Maybe even discuss with your fellow constituents there, your fellow uh, workers, I should say, not constituents, um, there in the faith, your family members, things that you need to work on. Now, this is not group therapy, friends, to be very clear. This is intended to be a discussion of accountability and of growth. And if you're uncomfortable discussing it, certainly just make a note to yourself. The point that the writer is making here is we are all guilty of the concepts and precepts of the law. And so if we're not careful, we will lose our witness or at least damage it. In fact, in verse 24, the name of God is blasphemed amongst the Gentiles because of you. That's a real warning. It comes from Ezekiel. And the chapter and, and verse that that comes from here, let me look it up real quickly, is Ezekiel 36.20, if you want to look that up. That's the cross-reference to this verse. Now, having said all of that, what goes on in the last part of this lesson today is they're talking about how people who are uncircumcised, meaning non-Jews or Jews that are not following the law, are better off than those who are circumcised and living in this manner of, of not following what God has taught them and what they know to be true. And we won't read all those verses just because of time that we have uh, fleeting by today, but I would like to tie this all together back to the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes. When Christ was teaching um, at that time, there were so many things that the followers of the law felt good about. 
but yet he was showing them a new and a better approach to the way of looking at things. And so let's look together at Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 47. Let me just turn my Bible over there now, and I'll read to you from those verses. This is Jesus speaking. You have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemies. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be the sons of your father who's in heaven. For he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends the rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You know, Keith's been talking lately in the book of Luke about some of the tax gatherers and collectors who were seen as the lowest of the low. And here, Jesus himself speaks, says the tax gatherers even do the same thing as that. And what he's calling us to is not guilt, but freedom. He's calling us to a point to say, let's be unique in the sense that we're not encumbered by enemies or by people who would call us names or, or show us in a way that is um, negative. Let's pray for those who are people that are our enemies. Let's, let's deal with those in a loving manner. One of the greatest witnesses I've ever seen as an illustration is a man I knew at a church that I went to in Denver. He was in business with two other men. And basically, they did an end around on him in business that ended up bringing their business to court. And those two men could have been seen as enemies to this other gentleman. He was a strong Christian, though. And he said, even though things have gone wrong, even though we're in a court situation that is very difficult, I choose to not make them my enemies. I choose to pray for them. I choose to make my attitude as whole as I can in the image of Christ. And a few years later, I was at his funeral. He was buried in Oklahoma City. And one of those same men who had basically done the in around, created problems for their business, and, and become what amounted to an enemy to him, at least as the world would see it, was saying, I was saved because of what this man did for me. I was wrong. I was trying to be manipulative. I was trying to do things that would benefit me financially. And this man wouldn't take the bait. This man prayed for me, witnessed to me. And because of this man, who's now we're celebrating his funeral today, I am a believing Christian and my life has changed. Now, that's just one example I can give to you of how the world can be changed by us being different, being salt and light. We've heard our pastors talk about on the ministry field the importance of being a light on the hill, the importance of being someone who would be out there focused on what we can do for Christ and doing it in a way that is not showing off, but a way that's visible and vocal so people can hear, people can see the love of Christ in action. And in today's lesson, as we close it, you can have discussion here one final time on what is one thing I can do in the who's the one um, curriculum that we're following right now at our church and across our convention? As you know, Keith and Lawrence are leading us through that, praying for someone 
who we may uh, know well or we may barely know, but that as far as we know is not a Christian. What is one thing you can do this week for that person that can help them through this coronavirus crisis, through a crisis of confidence they may be going through, or maybe it's just an encouraging word to them to just keep the relationship going? Friends, we're not doing who's the one to be numerical in the way that we count towards God's kingdom. We're doing it because we're called to do so. Let's not be, as Paul was just talking about here in the book of, of Romans, a Jew that's just a Jew for being a Jew's sake and who goes around just trying to be pious and full of himself, but instead knowing full well that we're a sinner and that we're to do it for the glory of God alone. In fact, the final verse I'll read as we wrap up is back to Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, this is not meaning that we are going to be perfect people. It means that we are to strive for perfection. We're not to strive for following the law for the law's sake. We're not to strive for perfection because it adds points to our scorecard. We're to strive for perfection because Christ commands us to follow His plan. And in doing so, He'll be glorified and all men will be drawn to Him. Well, now normally... This is a time in Sunday school where we would take prayer requests and have community time, maybe do announcements as we wrap up. And so certainly looking online at our website, you have an opportunity to see scheduled events, knowing full well those are fluid and may change in the coming days and weeks. So stay tuned for more information through that and through email. You can always call the church office as well to get information on programming. But if you do have a prayer request uh, that you need to make known, please notify your Sunday school director so he or she can send out emails to your classmates and they can pray with you and for you. Maybe it's time to even have a group conference call. We have technology available to set up for you if that's needed, and you can have prayer over a conference call and uh, time together in that manner in the short term. Well, thanks for listening these past few minutes. I hope that uh, this Sunday school lesson was an important uh or a time of, of remembrance and importance and focusing on God's Word. Let's close in prayer as we uh, leave this time today, and uh, we'll wrap up. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that we can study it week after week diligently. We thank You for a senior pastor who teaches Your Word verse by verse, for all of our other ministers, associates, and workers in the church who so faithfully teach and bring lessons and words on your behalf through programs and curriculum. Lord, we pray that this interruption of time together will be minimal, but Lord, as we are away from each other in fellowship, we can still be learning your word through technology. Thank you for it, and we thank you for time together and learning. In Jesus' name, amen. Until we meet again, God bless and have a great week.